Welcome back for mile nine of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. We are fired up to get into some training topics tonight. I am Travis, joined by my trusted colleague, Benjamin Alejandro Sessions, for tonight's episode. Before we get started with our topic du jour, we have an exciting announcement. The Seconds Flat Singlet will be worn at a road race near you. Our winner. Oh. You live in Ohio. (laughs) Absolutely right. We said last week we are big in the Midwest, and it was proven in our emails. We opened up a competition to note your favorite moment from the show and a dream matchup, or mashup, as Ben likes to say. And we got an email from our guy, Max in Ohio, friend of the show. He was our winner with his dream matchup, which we got close to seeing this weekend, actually. He wanted to see that dream mile among three of his favorite current Ohio runners, and we actually saw two of them at the Guardian's Mile in Cleveland this weekend. Brand new event running point to point across a bridge downtown. Pretty cool. Colby Alexander and Sam Prakel were both there. Multi-time Olympic medalist Nick Willis was the winner. The only guy missing from Max's dream race is Olympic 800 medalist Clayton Murphy, also an Ohioan. And he said his favorite moment from the show so far was hearing about Ben's marathon experience of a grandfather mountain. I appreciate the love. There we go. So we are sending a seconds flat singlet in our light gray with white print model north to Ohio for Max. He promised a road racing PR. He said it will be the first singlet that he breaks 15 in. So we look forward to that and get those pictures to us, big fella. Now, Let's get into the meat here. It's about cross-country season, right? It's right around the corner. Races are getting ready to start. Training has begun. And we look back on our careers, both running and coaching, and thought about some of those common mistakes that get made in cross-country season, but really in training and racing of all distances. So Ben and I had a little conversation last week and thought it'd be fun to get into some of those topics and give you some guidance on the key mistakes to avoid so that you can have a successful season, whether it's cross-country at a high school or college level, road racing, maybe you're training for a marathon. Wherever you are in your running journey, we are here to help you along the way. Benji, let's hit me first with the training side of things. What's the first mistake you see? So the first mistake I see going into the fall season is that a lot of people fall into this trap of skipping their base phase and not building their mileage through the summer, usually caused by like going on vacation, just general apathy. That's your excuse, yes. Yes, apathy is. Yeah. But really, if you want to peak at the right time and have this big pyramid, you need to lay the foundation. And this slow build of your miles is just laying down the brick by brick by brick that'll lead to success later. Absolutely. You can't fake fitness. No. All right? And by the time we roll into the season and the meets starting, you're getting out there for hard efforts. As Ben said, you're laying that brick by brick all summer to get there, right? Those pieces can't just be skipped over. Not at all. So if you show up a week before the race trying to get prepared, it's too little too late, JoJo. Yes. The especially for the high school college athlete 
the season is two and a half months long. I was nowhere near a good runner in high school, but from my sophomore year to my senior year in cross country, I only ran 30 seconds better in the 5K in that time frame. Mm. But that's because base training wasn't something that my high school team did. So I was trying to cram all this fitness in a 10-week period. A really short window. So I only went from 1650 to 1620 in high school. And then I go to college, base train for two months, and I broke 16 during base training. Yeah. You can't skip steps to get to certain points. I think that in the cross-country season, or maybe it's a fall marathon build for you, and maybe you're getting ready for an October-November marathon, which is common with Chicago and New York and Philly and CIM and all these big races, the summer's the most important part of it. Where we are right now in August is the most important part of it, right? This is when you are really moving into high mileage, and if you show up for racing in September without it, you really need to take a step back and start where everybody else started a couple months ago, right? September 1 for you, your workout needs to look like it did for somebody else on July 1 who's been running all summer. And that's something you've implemented. Absolutely. Uh, When I coached high schoolers, uh, we tried to individualize and said, if you showed up the first day of school, you're running stuff that the other people did who showed up the first day of summer. Uh, to your point uh, about your improvement there, I've seen people make the biggest jumps over the course of their high school career solely because they base trained. Yes. So what does the base look like? We, we're just throwing out that it's important, all right? It's all about that base. It is. And within the base, what are runs that you would incorporate? What does it look like to you? Oh, gosh. Well, along with the miles being higher, the long run has to be proportionate. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot of effort-based stuff. Um, this could look like hills. This could look like fartlicks at a prescribed effort, not necessarily a pace. Mm-hmm. Um, tempo runs, just kind of long, continuous grinding efforts. So the focus isn't feeling sharp or feeling fast during this. You're just building your engine. You want a really efficient engine. And that's all you're working on. And you want to be able to efficiently do more difficult work later. Yes. And the body needs to be primed for those efforts. I think that those workouts that you considered are great, and we don't need to force them or rush them either. Yes. Now, take the time. Like we, We've discussed on here in recent episodes how we both have dealt with a variety of illnesses, and... I made the decision to back off my planned October marathon and push back to December because it's going to be best for my training. And with that, when I came back, it's been a couple weeks of just mileage, just building mileage. Then the next step, the next move for me for a workout is to go hills. It's a strength-based workout. It's effort-based where you can improve rather than putting a ton of pressure on time, I I think is important. That's a trap you can easily fall into. That's quicksand, right? Moreover, you start to jump into long intervals that you're not ready for. So a hill where I can build strength, keep it at the distance that's appropriate for me is valuable. Uh, You mentioned tempo runs. You may want to break those into intervals early on, too, to to help build. You may want to make a more progression style so that you don't get out too fast too soon. Yes. So just kind of seasoning the mileage with the salt and pepper of workouts 
once or twice a week that time of year is plenty. Then you can move into more quality work later on in the season. But I do think it is valuable to have workouts there and always being able to touch on something faster, whether it's on a hill or or it's some sort of uh, short flying 30 kind of sprint on the track. So you can be in tune with some speed, but it's... It's not the focus. It's not the focus. That's exactly right. What else do you see, bud? All right, so I think we covered the summer mistake pretty well. Yeah. So the next mistake is not doing what's prescribed. We were talking about it the other day. Doctors and coaches prescribe certain medicines for certain things. There's a reason you're running X pace for X distance with X rest. And as an athlete, it's so easy to fall into this mindset that like, if I exceed this workout, this will be a proving ground. I'm scheduled to do three by a mile at six flat. And that means I'm an 1830 guy. If I do it at 550 pace, well, I have to be an 1810 guy, right? And so- And it doesn't translate like that. It doesn't translate like that. There is a reason. Uh, The next mistake is just not doing what's prescribed, taking, hijacking a workout. Right, remember, you train to race, you don't train to train, right? It's not that every time you step on a track or wherever you're doing your work, it's on the first step on a hill or it's on the trail, wherever your intervals are. That's not the biggest day of the season. That's one piece along the way toward your biggest day of the season. And your coach, if you have one, has a vision towards that day. If you're self-coached, you need to sit down and work backwards to some degree from that day and create a vision. And, and you and I have talked about this. If your target in cross-country season or your fall race is October or November, when I am writing out my training plan, October or November is the first thing that I'm going to do. Then I'm going to come back to the very beginning right and work that way so i know what i'm doing backwards out from october or november and then i'm filling in forward from august or july or whenever you get started as the coach or the person who's writing the workouts you need to be able to know and answer why are we doing this that doesn't necessarily mean the athlete needs to ask it every day. There needs to hopefully just develop some trust over time and that it's explained when it needs to be explained. But if you can't answer why you are doing what you are doing when you are doing it, we are selling the athlete short. Definitely. That doesn't necessarily, this topic, limit us to just talking about workouts. Mm-hmm. When easy days are assigned, too hijacking those all running too fast or even just skipping them because you feel you're getting nothing out of a three mile shakeout there's a lot of benefits from you and getting the blood flowing to help speed up the recovery process when i was on the cross-country team at north greenville a way we kept ourselves in check was actually a quote from ben true uh ben true is a runner for saucony and has ran 13.02 for 5K. He's not bad. Uh, one time he was having a workout filmed. And he was talking about how we wouldn't see any fireworks. And he says, I've noticed when I race at A+, it's because I've done a lot of B-minus workouts. Ah, that's beautiful. It's just consistent. He's not going over the red line, uh, not going into the well too much. And it's just consistent, good work. That's It's so true. The great runners do a bunch of stuff that's no glitz and glamour consistently over an extended period of time 
And boom, that's where greatness comes from. It doesn't come from the fact that you nailed five by a mile at X pace one day in September. Nobody hangs banners in the gymnasium for championships one in September, right? It's what you do at the end of the season in in cross country, October and November, in track moving into May and June. And for you road racing, it might be the summer 5k that you peak for it might be the fall marathon but it's not every step along the way those are stepping stones towards success use them as such yes as simple as it sounds months are bigger than days very well put thank you master of the calendar and of running You mentioned on some easy day stuff there, which I think goes to the next point you wanted to bring up. What's the next mistake we see? So the next mistake is overtraining. We kind of talked about two main sub points with this. Doing too much, like X, Y, etc. This could look like intensity, too much volume, a combination of both. So there's the just doing too much aspect of overtraining. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. And then easy days are easy. And this ties into what we just said with doing what's prescribed. A lot of people run way too fast when they need to be recovering. I spent four years of college running my easy days at six flat pace. And only my final year when I actually ran good, I was running 740 pace and running longer and my body was recovering better i was finally healthy it's amazing what listening does yeah don't be afraid to run an easy day two minutes slower than your 5k pace for a lot of people that's a really safe number or if you're a marathoner depending on your ability maybe it needs to be 60 seconds slower than your marathon pace or 90 seconds slower than your marathon pace more importantly Maybe the beginning of your easy run is even slower. Yes. Let your body warm up. Take your time to see how you feel, right? If I run a 7.30 average on an easy day, hypothetically, if that was my number, I bet my first mile most times is well over eight. Oh, yeah. And then we're working down slowly. I think to just the too much that you mentioned, there's two key variables to consider in your training that training really becomes a function simply of these two things. One is volume and the other is intensity. How much you're doing and how hard you're doing it. Or you might hear quality and quantity. We typically want to tinker with only one of those variables at a time as we move through training. If you are dramatically increasing your mileage over an extended period of time, maybe you're marathoning and moving from 50 to 80 miles per week. You're training for a 5K in high school and you're moving from 30 to 40 or 50, whatever it is proportionally for you. First, and this goes back to our base skipping thing we should have touched on too, is you don't just have to get there on a linear route, all right? Take a couple weeks where you build, then cut back a little bit, then build again, let your body recover, just like it does on easy days. That's exactly right. But as you're moving along that trajectory towards 50, 60, 70, whatever the mileage is per week for you, or maybe you measure it in minutes, don't also, at the same time, crank up the intensity to level 10 out of 10. That's the perfect recipe for injury. 
that's the perfect recipe for burnout. That is not the recipe for a really successful season. So consider the balance you have between quality and quantity. Don't try to do too much of both too soon. The basic safe way to go over the course of the fall is to build up the quantity first. Build up your volume, then bring the quality along. So as we talked about maybe moving from hills and tempos, and you might still incorporate those later in the season, but maybe you're doing work now at 8K pace or 10K pace or even 5K and VO2 max pace. Then as that quality continues to increase and improve, we ultimately dial back the quantity a bit as we prepare to be sharp for the meaningful races at the end of the season. Any other thoughts on overtraining, Ben? Don't do it. (laughs) Gosh, I've been the victim of it so many times, especially in the collegiate system where it's like a they try to have a three-peak cycle yeah, with cross-country and outdoor. It's not possible. My biggest advice is listen to your body. It's smarter than the guy inside of you who wants to be really, really good. The second biggest piece of advice is for me to listen to your body because that has never <laughs> guided me wrong. My hips do not lie. The last piece I'll mention here, I'm going to like all my stupid quotes and sayings here. The greatest ability is availability. If you're not available for the race you have targeted, it doesn't matter how well you trained. If you drove yourself over the cliff and you can't be there on race day, why'd you drive yourself over the cliff? There's no glory in not lining up. Yeah, there's. you have to be on the line ready to go on race day to be successful in that race. So I would always rather be myself or any runner I work with at maybe 90 to 95% of my maximum ability and just a touch undertrained than to try to reach 100% and break down and never even get to race. Yes. Now, the next thing we got to here I think is super important because your coach can't control what happens in the 21, 22, 23 hours a day when you're not at practice. What's happening there that's so significant, Ben? Well, you gotta sleep. Ah. And you gotta get enough of it. Especially for people in high school in the college system. And people with kids. Yeah. I don't know how they run. Up early training in the morning. Yeah. Bless you all. In my opinion, the second most important thing to successful training behind running you're gonna have to do some of that a little bit is sleeping yes it is where your body recovers and it is where you improve so it fits under this whole umbrella that we've talked about the one percents because you know the the workouts the the running the strength whatever fits into this like 99 percent. it's it's what you do the most of is running right and and if you're in the collegiate system you might spend a good amount of time in the weight room but if you're on your own training as an adult you may not. What are some other things there that are really essential to being successful? Core strength. Really working on those stabilizer muscles just reduces the chance for injury, makes you a little better athlete. Um, Yeah, I like the just reference to general athleticism there because as runners, we just move in that straight line so much and you're using the same muscles over and over and over again. If I were going to create a prescription for the base workout strength workout excuse me for the average runner 
probably about 75% of the stuff you're doing should be for the posterior chain. Yes. We live in the biceps and pecs world of weightlifting. Well, you may. Uh, Well, thank you. But those are not significant towards your success as a runner. So if we're doing the posterior chain stuff, a lot of it falls under core work, right? What am I doing for my back, glutes, hips, hamstrings, that kind of stuff? is really what's valuable for a runner. And in some ways it's about power. You know, I've had plenty of runners I've worked with where we incorporated powerful, explosive Olympic lifts. But in other cases, it's just as much and more really about injury prevention. I wanna be able to control my body, to balance my body, maybe working just on body weight or even with medicine balls so that I don't break down. That's the number one piece I want out of the weight room. Then the explosive stuff is kind of a cherry on top for certain types of runners that we can use, depending on how serious you are. And like we were talking about with skipping the base phase and how that was building your engine, this is building the frame of your car. And the base phase, moreover, is where I want to do a good amount of strength work here to overlap with this. It's that general fitness that comes early. So we got a a car now with a frame and an engine. We're headed in a good direction. We might be able to drive this thing. Yeah, and we got to do maintenance on it. So my next couple points were doing the drills and stretching and then foam rolling or using like the roll recovery R8 after a workout to really flush out those areas work on uh, areas of tightness, really just staying on top of prevention. Huge believer in rolling. Also think it can be great for the warm-up to help you get loose. Uh, Stretching, to me, is an interesting area. I I think it's important. I don't want to devalue it. It's a much debated But yeah, here's my opinion on it. Mobility is more significant to a runner than just flexibility. Yes. Just being able to sit and reach something isn't necessarily the goal to be able to move fluidly through the appropriate range of motion that's what's important i think that goes with it could be active dynamic types of stretching before or after your work it's an appropriate warm-up but it also goes to drills like you were mentioning yes and i would say those drills fall in a couple categories. There's the ones that are loosening you up to do your work, extending ranges of motion, classic stuff like high knees and butt kicks and backward running, but also incorporating lower leg or foot drills. uh, That can be really valuable in injury prevention. Little activation techniques. Yeah, if you are dealing with uh, foot issues, if you're dealing with shin splints, that kind of stuff, strengthening the, the foot and the lower leg is so great. Athletes I work with, we tend to go through a pretty simple process uh, for these when we're, when we're dealing with specific issues where we get on a soft surface like grass or turf and get barefoot and you can use it before or after depending on when it best fits into your work. So consider what's best for you. But walking real far on the outside of your foot and on the inside of your foot and up on your toes to work the foot and the muscles in the foot in ways that we aren't when we are in our running shoes and that we never really do when we're in the weight room. I'd incorporate that stuff. So another one percenter, probably your favorite one, Mm. eating. So nutrition. So we have... I'm not fat, I just eat good. Contrasting 
experiences with this point. I think yours is the better advice. <laughs> my better, my life experience is better here. Yes, I've been very fortunate to be three percent body fat my entire life. Yeah. So I live by the motto: if the furnace is hot enough, it'll burn anything. But that's not true for all people, and it's very limiting to me because I've made those decisions when I've eaten healthier and done the right things. It's worked out better. Yeah, the furnace burns more efficiently. With the correct fuel. With the correct fuel. Let's put some lighter fluid on it. (laughs) You're just pouring kerosene on the fire with some of your decisions. So I have been forthright in previous episodes about my weakness for sweets, which is certainly my one area here that I... You are what you eat. (laughs) Thank you, sweetheart. (laughs) Where I've perhaps indulged a little bit, and I am known to also eat in large quantities, but uh, as Ricky Flynn well-known eater said in an earlier episode when you're burning huge amounts of calorie you need huge amounts of fuel so i don't feel bad about the quantities i eat because i typically am fairly smart about what i actually consume i think the key here is to get into a routine that works for you to find things that you consider as fuel like you're talking about how the, how the fire burns not just as food i eat It's fueling your work. It's fueling all those calories you are burning every single day. I would target in, if you had one thing that you could first analyze within your nutrition toward running, I would go towards your post-run nutrition would be the first thing I'd think about because I think um, it's an easy one to adjust. Uh, Some simple things like getting some protein into the system getting a good carb protein ratio into the system for some people it's just like chocolate milk i can always go to that but if you can get that fuel back in within 30 40 minutes and then get a meal in the system within a couple hours of a hard workout that's really valuable so for me i do virtually all of my work in the morning and my hard workouts in the morning right when i get up If I'm coming back then after maybe a long, hard tempo run or a bunch of hills or a long run, I want to get to a meal within a couple hours. For me, it's often eggs, right? Something with a good amount of protein in it. Maybe I'm going to have an English muffin or some toast for some carbs and just to keep it classy because that's (laughs) the kind of guy I am going with English muffins. So that type of balance afterward And then I'd also just think, is there one source that's an empty source of calories that you can get out of the diet? Maybe it's soda. I know that's one for a lot of people that consume a ton of soda. Yes, it is. Yeah, so maybe limiting that factor could be positive for you. We're not trying to make huge dietary changes for you. If that's something you're looking at, then you should be considering that with a nutritionist and going through what's best for you. But these are just simple fixes you might be able to incorporate. Yeah, and along with the nutrition topic, like it's not necessarily like an overhaul eating better. Part of it's finding little things that don't work well for you eating before a run. A lot of people are constrained to working out in the afternoons and evenings. I know for myself, I've discovered that I feel better on my late runs when I haven't consumed meat before Mm. because it just doesn't sit on my stomach well. And that's just me personally. Yeah. But like you have to play around with that when you do have like these kind of off runs or if you're not feeling well, 
there's a lot of exterior factors that people don't think about. Yeah, that's so true. I normally want to keep it light beforehand, like you're saying. I try to keep it very simple with what I eat prior. Yeah. I'm a big peanut butter and jelly guy. That's a for great lunch one. Absolutely. Some, like, baked chips and some fruit. That's a safe one for a lot of people a few hours out from their from their work and then save the bigger meal for after you've done the most work. Yes. All right. That was a good discussion of what we can adapt with training to avoid some mistakes. What about actually on race day? A common mistake we see on race day is people emphasizing so much on time as opposed to competing. There's mm-hmm. a lot of uncontrollables on race day. Whether your competitors, if there's not enough portageons before your race, mm-hmm. there's just so much you can't control. But what you can control is your effort, your mindset on beating the next person, beating yourself. You can't go into a race every time. Say, again, going back to that 1835K, wanting to run six-minute miles three times in a row, but there's a hailstorm going on or it's raining. You have to adjust and be ready like, okay, today's not my time day. I'm here to place around this person on my team or I want to make varsity this race it's knowing what the emphasis is on race day because there are days where it'll be times and your coach or you will have set the goal for that race to be a time but you can't limit your athletic performance to just solely chasing that time right so if you're trying to qualify for Boston there's a time number you have to hit we understand that but it's about approaching the race in the best way to get there, which isn't always just having that number as the only thing in your head. The brilliance of what you just said came in a nugget early on there about what you can control in the race. There are so many things beyond our control in any athletic endeavor. All you can focus on is what you can control. And that is having the best race you can possibly have on that day. So a lot of times that means targeting people, knowing who you need to compete with, moving up, late in a race just trying to catch people, just hunting the next one down. I knew a coach who often incorporated something they called a predator run within practices. And that mentality of being that predator and the next person up is your prey and we're just stalking our prey one after the next. And guess what? When you race that way and you go catch people, that's when you put up good times. Yes. In part, it's because your focus has gone to just running well and also because mentally you feel great when you're the person doing the passing, not the one getting passed. And I would say that most runners who are focusing on like a time and one like a shorter race especially – they get to a point where they're surviving mm. and they forget that killer instinct. Yes. And sometimes it's that mental flip to competing is where a lot of people have their breakthroughs. Yeah. Am I going to keep hanging on just to break 20 minutes, 19 minutes, 18 minutes, whatever it is in the 5K if you're a high schooler? Or am I just going to keep hanging on to break three hours? Or am I going to go attack that time? And that's when I have the big jump. We have these mental barriers with times that hold us back, right? We place limits on ourselves that are not necessarily our limits. Remove the ceiling 
give yourself the opportunity to be better than you ever thought you could be. When I ran my college 1500 PR, I'd ran a 5K the night before, and I was on heavy legs. We had drove three hours back to go to another meet to race. Mm. And I'm warming up. I tell my coach I don't feel well. And he's like, okay, well, we're not running for time. Coaches love hearing that one. Yeah. He's like, well, he really said some other stuff. (laughs) He told me to stop whining. Um, He's like, just go try and beat one guy. Um, Stay in it as long as you can. Uh, So my only mentality was like, I'm going to stay with these guys as long as possible. I ended up winning the race and ran my personal best by four seconds in the event, which is huge at that distance. Sure. And it was just for me the mental switch because I'm someone who recognizes a split. I'm like, oh, I'm on pace. I hope I don't mess it up. Yeah. And I inevitably do. Yeah, when you have that tunnel vision on one target like that, it, it can eliminate some of those thoughts that seep in when you start to target time like, oh, I'm not going to make it. I'm doing mental math. Can I get on track for this? But we can get ourselves focused more on racing and then the product comes with it yeah i mean how many times have you been in a race and rather than focusing on the person in front of you and like trying to stay latched on have you thought too much about travis and travis's legs are really heavy and you're like oh no i'm pushing way too hard my hamstrings or my quads or my breathing is bad right now kind of have the mental shakiness yeah well i'm always a me 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 kind of guy you know that but seriously i I do think that a consistent theme i would find from any time i've raced well is i blocked those things out i think that one of my strengths as a runner is some mental toughness but it's come with limits and i've certainly made mistakes where i fell into that trap and we're all better when we stay out of the trap definitely So we move on to our next topic, sure. which I guess this is more pointed towards someone in the high school or collegiate system. And it goes with the emphasis that we just talked about, and it's knowing what races to put emphasis on. I know in a lot of high schools, race as much as like 16 to 20 times a season, which is insane. So I've kind of called this mistake being the dual meet state champion. Mm. No one cares who wins on Wednesday. The focus is the state meet, the conference meet, the region meet, championship racing. A lot of high schoolers especially are very nearsighted in which every race, it's almost like they're trying to prove their worth and every race is the state meet. And now that tenacity and that ferocity is awesome. And that brings out the best in an athlete. But harness it and use it the right way. Yes, it, it needs to be pushed towards something. There's a lot to learn in races. There's different ways to do things during races, and those dual meets should be a learning opportunity. There's a lot to unpack there. Yes. First, you're selling the point a little bit short if you're saying this is only for people in a high school or collegiate system. Educate Because me. we, as athletes on the road, even at a marathon, use tune-ups right? People might go out and run a half. Know what the goal is at the half. Are you trying to run your marathon pace that day? If so, that's the target. Don't make it something different. Maybe you're just trying to measure fitness and it looks totally different to you and you're racing that thing all out. So this is a point for everyone. If you're in a system where you have to incorporate things like midweek dual meets that you see it it's not as common now across the country as it used to be but some places use it still you have to understand like ben said 
where are the important meets? Target that because it's really hard to be at your best 15 or 20 times across the course of the year. You know, I think about it this way. If I was training myself for a 5K in the first weekend of November, I'm not going to go run a 5K twice a week until then. That's not the way you get better. It's a good thing you didn't run in this state. (laughs) Right. So consider that. But then also, if you are in a system where you're the athlete or you're a coach and you're boxed into a system where your kids have to run twice a week at races, we got to think about what we're doing on the other days. You might not be able to work out at all. Those might be your only workouts. You need recovery, and race day is always the most physically and mentally exhausting. But we also need to perhaps use those races in a more appropriate way. Maybe I use it to, I'll give examples of things that I've had athletes do over time, lock in with a teammate who needs some help at a certain point, attack it as a progression run, mile by mile, tempo through... 4k and then let go for the last k there's all kinds of different possible combinations you could use in making those races more effective for your goal toward the end of the year i would say this though there's a balance between doing that and still being a competitor because there's great value in being a competitor and we don't want to lose sight of that so don't make every meet in the run-up just about working on some specific variable. You still need to challenge yourself to be at your best at certain points. And perhaps a better title for that point would be having the correct perspective on race day. Yes, just know what's important. Yes. Like we've said on so many of these other variables and other mistakes is dead on, man. Like you were talking about with the tune-up for a marathon, like being a half marathon just because you don't go out and set a PR in the half marathon doesn't mean that you're not in PR marathon shape. Yeah, so let's go anecdotally right here. My experience pre-Boston this year, which I ran a good race at Boston, you were there in the final like quarter mile of my <laughs> half marathon tune-up beforehand, and while I was pushing myself a decent amount... I got excited to see you there along the course, got fired up, and I was talking to you with a few hundred meters to go. Clearly, I didn't put everything out there that day. I ran fairly hard. I ran a decent race. I was fine with it. But I knew that's not the goal race, right? And I still want to take just a little step back from that and know that your goal race is super important. And this race day stuff matters, but you get there through a process and training and the every day that goes into it is what's going to get you to success on race day but also race day your most important race is never the only measure of success yes there are so many other ways that you can have a successful season and it could be as simple as think about how i grew as a person and a runner by meeting challenges and responding because that stuff carries over every day in life that's a successful season still, too. Beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> so eloquent. Get me all worked up. All it's right. that English muffin. Uh, go ahead. What's next? So we talked a little bit about nutrition earlier. Uh, this is huge on race day. Don't switch it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, I got to carbo load and cram all this pasta. 
During the race, often. Oh, gosh. Fistfuls of spaghetti just flying. (laughs) Fettuccine Alfredo everywhere, Michael Scott. To your point about carbo loading, keep that under control, right? You're not trying to just get everything you can. At shorter distance races, you really don't need a ton of carbs beforehand because you're not going to go through all the glycogen stores anyway. At longer distances, you don't want to overdo it and just feel sluggish the next day either. So find something that's a balance for you. Know that the science on carbo-loading is delicate. We don't know exactly for every person. So figure out what works for you and stay with it. Use each race leading up to the big one, or perhaps if you're training for a marathon, it's your long workouts leading up to the big one. Use them as a dress rehearsal. Figure out what works for you to eat beforehand, the night before, and then perhaps the morning of. And then if you need during race nutrition, like in a marathon, experiment with all the types of nutrition you might use. I've gone everywhere from goo to honey stingers to Morton hydrogel to raisins over the course of a race. I once, at mile 14, (laughs) ate a peanut butter and honey sandwich. It worked for me. But it doesn't work for everyone. So know what works for you. And as Ben said, don't tinker with it when it gets to the big day. That's the cardinal sin. All right. We are at the dance now. All right. The gun's about to go off. So this is a fun topic. Everyone has a different opinion, different quirks. Let's talk about the warm-up. Oh. You do one of those? Occasionally. Yeah, it might might not hurt. When I want to run well. Yeah. It's worth it. (laughs) First off, before we even start moving, apparel, hmm. what are you wearing? It's it's quite funny how many people just walk around in whatever they're racing in. Just their, their singlet, right? Yes. It could be 20 degrees out, and if you go to a high school meet, oh, those kids are running around in tank tops and short shorts. and Right. Watch what elites wear before they race, whether it's warm or cold. They're not going around in just the singlet getting loose, right? They're warming up. We're literally getting warmer. That's part of it. We're raising our body temperature and loosening our muscles. I know personally, no matter the temperature, I'll have a long sleeve shirt on Mm -hmm. and then long tights uh, over my race uniform. Mm -hmm. What what about for you, Travis? Uh, And how does that evolve for you as the year goes on, racing in the cold months and in the summer, what's that look like? I am for, again, as more of a marathoner, in my pre-race, the warm-up is, is much shorter for a marathon. It's not as involved as it would be for a 5K, but multiple loose, thin layers tend to be where I start, and then as we raise the body temperature, we start to peel them off, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff, maybe some gloves or something, might stay on early in the race, and then we'll throw that off once we get moving. At Boston, despite temperatures in the 30s and heavy rain and wind, I ran the race in half tights and a singlet, but I didn't sit out in that craziness beforehand in that outfit. I had like eight layers plus ponchos and hats and gloves and bags around my shoes and everything (laughs) I could to stay dry. I didn't waste energy, and I think this is really one of the key points about a warm-up in cold weather. Don't waste your body's energy trying to keep yourself warm, right? Put some clothes on that can help you in that process. Yeah, a saying I always like to use, 
because I take a lot of grief for my wearing of my tights, no matter the degree. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's just a mental thing for me. But uh, I like to say I keep the sword in the sheath until I'm ready, ready to draw it. Mm. Honestly, it's completely mental for me. Yeah. As soon as I take those tights off, I know I'm going to battle. <laughs> so actually, part of the warm-up is finding those mental cues. That is exactly right. That's what I was just going to say. You're nailing the thing that works for you mentally, and a lot of those mental cues are about reducing pre-race anxiety yes. and feeling like you're ready to go compete and not worrying. And if that's part of what works for you, do it every single time. I step to the line... And almost every single time, one of my last thoughts is, I did so much good work. I am so prepared. Today is the fun. I just get to show how ready I am. I've put in all the hard efforts. This is why we're here. Let's go race and have fun. I'm going to show people I'm ready to win. And those cues look so different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you have, I call them the brochachos. Uh, they're the ones with the earbuds in, jamming yeah. to like POD, yeah. um, getting hyped up. And that's definitely awesome for certain people. Gets them ready to go, puts the fire in them. I personally am not that aggressive. Yeah, me I'm, either, but I get it for some folks. I joke around. Yeah. I'm like flailing around, rolling on the ground, cutting jokes. But also, if you are on a team, you have to appreciate what works for other people and what works yes. for you and balance that. Because there's so many personalities. Yeah. I know that there were certain people on my team in college, if I walked up to them to crack a joke or slap them on the butt on the line, they would be so mad at me. Sometimes you do that to me before we record, and I appreciate it. It's me yeah, focused. You do say thank you. Another thing I would think about is um, maybe you need to do some visualization. Yes. All right? I, thinking about good things you've done in the past. Maybe it's a race you've run before and you want to envision the best moments you had on that course or envisioning good workouts you've had, the stuff that gets you prepped to run that race. That can be a good one the night before and it can be a good one right as you're getting ready to hit the line. Big thing for me last fall was I would pull up my training logs the morning of my race Mm. and just review the months and all the weeks I put together. That's your way of knowing you're ready. Yeah. Holy crap, there's... So many thousand miles here that point... I did actually run. I've ran 2,000 miles. Five are going to be easy today. Right. (laughs) That's well said. Okay, so what else uh, with the warm-up then? (laughs) How to deal with everybody's start line shenanigans. Yeah, regardless of what distance you run. Golly, you see so many skips and sprints and strides and people doing push-ups, air punching... I guess that's shadow boxing. I love good core work, too. Every once in a while, I see people doing core work on the line. Gotta activate the ass. (laughs) Yeah. Words to live by. (laughs) I would say find a routine here and stick to it. Use the same warm-up drills every time and try to incorporate them before your key workouts as well so that it's second nature. I generally like to move from smaller to larger ranges of motion here. I block out what everyone else is doing and stick to what I know and trust so important. that we have developed over time for me or my athletes that I'm working with. And then one of the things I think is crucial is what are the last things that happen? Not right before the gun goes off, but the last pieces of your warm-up. Because this one, to me, is a place where we make a lot of mistakes. I just saw the other day this article in Runner's World about 
a pitcher from the Cincinnati Reds, Jared Hughes, and his move when they call to the bullpen, normally the pitchers kind of just jog to the mound, he, boom, comes right out of the door from the bullpen and sprints to the mound as hard as he can. All right, there's even a video of him, I forget what city they were in, like Houston or something, <laughs> that he races the bullpen card out. Wow. All right? But he said, here's why. He was struggling in the lower levels, minor league, double A, triple A. He wasn't getting a ton of chances. And uh, one of his teammates said to him, you know what? Sprint out there and throw it as hard as you can because this might be the last chance. Hmm. Put everything you can into this next pitch. And what he saw was after he did this, he averaged like four miles per hour higher velocity on his fastball. <laughs> what? All right. So Runner's World does this story and says this this is brilliant because it's a part of his warm-up. It's only valuable in that it's what he does every time, so there's consistency and the mental activation that comes with it. He believes it works. He believes it works. He's doing it consistently. He has visualized it over and over again that he knows I come out and I throw harder. I hate this for runners. Those pieces I just mentioned about the mental aspects and the consistency are great. But the last thing you should be doing if you're running a distance event <laughs> yes. is sprinting as hard as you can on the last stride. Hallelujah. How many people have you seen do that one? Every high schooler. Countless, right? Yes. Avoid that just ridiculous sprint stride as the last thing you do on the line. You are not a peacock. Put your feathers up. This is not a competition until the gun goes off. Yeah, I would rather do well in the race than in the stride show beforehand. A lot of folks end with strides, and that's fine. They serve a purpose, but they, it doesn't need to be all out because you're not going to be racing all out at distance. And two, you're putting your heart rate in a place you don't want it before you start. Because if you get your heart rate too elevated and you come out of the gate and just, boom, take off. And this is a point we'll get a little more on here in a second. Next, yeah. You do that and you're going to go into energy systems you don't want to use. Way too early. Way too early. So one of the things... I've incorporated more recently, and this came actually from legendary coach Jack Daniels. He uses a stride at like a tempo pace for about two minutes. Could be just once or twice, out for a minute and back. It gets the heart rate going, but it gets you at a level more similar to how you want to start the race. So maybe you want to do a couple strides that are a little bit harder just for some explosion. Get a little spring in the step. Make sure you, everything feels ready to go. I get it. That could be your thing. But avoid the mistake of just blasting off on the last stride like it's the end of the world. And do something that more positively impacts the race you are about to run. Yes. So you talked about sprinting as soon as the gun goes mm. off. Yes. Our next point is going out too hard. Every eight-year-old mile fun run you've ever watched, right? <laughs> They're dead, dead. in their blue jeans. Yeah, jorts for me. And then after 200 meters, everybody's huffing and puffing, and they can't run anymore. Yes. As a runner, your workouts are usually pointed towards specific paces that you've practiced over and over and over. And there are efforts that you've come to understand and be familiar with. Why in the world would you take off sprinting in a race when you don't do that at practice? That's not what you're training for. Know thyself. 
Yes. Right? It really just seems like a big insecurity issue. But it's what you see everyone doing, particularly at shorter distances. Now, we could take Boston, the women's elite start at Boston this year, as everybody is like hobby jogging their way, nobody wanting to take the lead for the first however many hundreds of meters. But for the most part, if you go to the average road race or a high school cross country or track meet, you're going to see people who get out too hard and can't hang on to it. And honestly, the damage gets done so early. It's the first minute. It is. And it'll ruin the entire race. Yes. If I were coaching a 5K athlete right now and I had to pick a single spot to get to to give that person a split early in the race, like if they really wanted a split from me, I'd probably get to like the 400 meter mark mm-hmm. because by 800 or a mile, the damage is done. We can still get you under control at 400. As far as what that pace looks like early to not get out too hard, Somewhere within like 3% plus or minus of your average pace that you can run is probably a good spot. Now, you might have strategy where there's a certain person you're targeting that you need to get on or we're holding back intentionally for this race, whatever that might be. To me, the real only exception on the get out hard rule is course conditions. Yeah. If you run cross country and it's super muddy, that is actually a moment where I do like people to get out because it can just be impossible to make up the ground. Or depending how it funnels yeah. and how quickly. You go into that course that's got a wide chute and you get down to single file in the woods. Yes. Right? The, those things are, are exceptions. But generally, world records get set by people who run even to negative splits. They don't run the first K or first mile all out. And nine times out of ten, say... We're talking about first mile mistakes in a 5K. Mm-hmm. It is much easier to correct mistake of going out too slow than going out too fast. I agree. And with that said, the middle of the race to me is the most important. I would rather pass 20 in mile two of a 5K and not have the kick and fall back behind like two or three of them. Well, I still gained a net 17 or 18 spots. Exactly. And the place is what matters, right? That's where the points come from. It's the place in a race like that. But it's a similar premise in in a marathon as well. Who can you pick off between the half point and mile 26? Maybe one person comes back that's been holding back that's just a lot faster than you. But the honest racing happens in the middle of the race, and it's where a lot of people lose their mental focus, too. So if you can be dialed in there, you're going to be more successful. And that brings us to our next mistake that people make. Uh, Just not being mentally engaged. It's so easy to fall asleep in a race. Mm -hmm. Just kind of get lost in the motion of pushing yourself. But when you don't stay mentally engaged, you forget like, oh, this is a downhill. I can use it. This is an uphill. I need to focus on my form on this. And there's all these little things you can do. And it's these little 1% that add up. Yes. That can be the difference between getting under a time goal or not or beating a rival or not. Yeah, the little things are actually big things mentally during a race. That's exactly right. You have to stay awake in the middle of a race. And you have to practice it in your training. And it's where you want to be able to tell yourself, I'm doing this for reason X, Y, Z. I have faded in a 10K at 7K in the past. So I'm at the repetition that approximates that within my workout. Maybe I'm doing, I don't know, four by a mile. I'm in the third one. 
I need to be dialed in here because during racing time, I've struggled with this. So you're going to have more confidence going in and you've practiced that tool. Your mind has calloused your body to be more prepared for the next event that that takes place in. Yes. Talking about that four by mile workout. A lot of people will hit two and be like, oh gosh, okay, I can fake two more. No, it's not about faking two more. It's about, it's almost like finding out, not necessarily pushing yourself too far, like we were talking about with overtraining, but being engaged, being like, okay, this is mile three, I can get in a good one. Mm. And the fourth one, I'm really going to bring it home. It's that surviving we talked about. Yeah. We have to shake this idea that there's a survival moment in the race. Mm-hmm. You're continually racing during a race. <laughs> you are. And those moments of truth, you have to attack them, not just hang on to be at your absolute best. All right, let's cross the finish line. Good result, bad result. Too many people make the mistake of not having a short enough memory. They dwell on one result way too long, whether good or bad. Mm-hmm. We see it more with bad results. People are like, oh, I'm not good enough. Maybe my training's not working. My coach doesn't know what he's talking about, things like that. But also, say you have a huge breakthrough. You finally ran that 1830 you wanted to. You can't expect every race to feel like you imagine that 1830 did. Because when we run well, we tend to put that performance on a pedestal because we're so excited when we finish, we forget how hard it actually was. Yeah, in the middle. we have this this mental capacity to downplay the difficulties and focus in on the success afterward, and we forget just how hard it was during the activity. And a big mistake with that is when these great performances come, we forget how we got there. We've talked about this a lot when writing training plans, is that someone has this breakthrough and they did X, Y, and Z to do it, but now they think they need, I use the last three alphabet letters, so <laughs> yeah, now A, B, and C to get to the next level. Right. Why change what was working? Why not just maybe the recovery time decreases or the pace slightly increases or the number of reps changes? Why totally move to different workouts? It's unnecessary. And who's to say that you can't continually improve off of that? Yeah. Again, with the consistent B-minus workouts. Yeah, you might just keep doing the same exact workout, but they feel so much easier. That's a sign of of growth as well. Absolutely. For me, after a race, it's pretty simple. You need to reflect. Reflect on it, whether that's talking to someone, writing it down, whatever it is. Reflect on the race. Learn from it, whether good or bad, and then throw it away. Yeah, something I really liked is what you did with your high school team for reflection. Yeah, we often had so many people on the team that you couldn't spend the time talking to everybody as much as you'd like to. So we took the time to write down those thoughts immediately after the finish. How did I feel on the start line? If it's a 5K, mile one, mile two, mile three, how did I feel at the finish? What are just a few words that would summarize this race for me? Sometimes those were silly or a bit graphic, (laughs) but often productive. And capturing that right away, and then as a coach or or whoever's guiding the training, can read and then write comments back to that and ask questions about it and learn to help us progress the next time out. 
especially like you're talking about with dealing with your like large teams if you see an athlete coming through let's say two and a half miles of a 5k and they're just falling apart you might think okay we need to like get this kid a little bit stronger he's falling apart maybe he went out too fast but you might have never known that at the two mile mark he saw his ex-girlfriend oh and he just couldn't deal with it that's true if you have a big team it's hard to it's just impossible to see everybody at every spot right as you move around the course if you're an individual write it down in your training log whether you keep that paper pen or online for me i write the most about races because i want to kind of spew it out and get it out of me i have it to reflect on but I also, again, just want to get it out and then think about it and move on and learn from it because I know that the next workout is going to be just as important. And so I need to reflect there as well. It's not just about reflecting on races. Absolutely. So, we made a lot of mistakes. Yes, we did. Hopefully we can fix a few of these with this podcast. Eh, or we can just relate. <laughs> One of the two. So fun to discuss some training stuff and we'll be getting into more specific topics with training later on and next time out we're going to get in a little bit what happened at the european championships didn't have time for it now but the precocious pups were out and howling this weekend in europe the year to be 17 Uh, is 2018 some really really fun performances there that we will talk about more next time for now it's secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments or topics like this that you would like us to get into more, maybe you're looking for a coach too. We can help you with training plans. Love to individualize for folks. Send us an email and we could set that up for you too. A little seconds flat coaching if you're interested. So it's secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Benjamin, any closing thoughts? Just remember the best ability is availability. And Travis can be reached at those emails. And he is available. Thank you very much, Ben. Everybody have a wonderful week. See you next time.